I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and descended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sin, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Be seated. Let us read together from the 55th chapter of Isaiah as it is in selection 44 in the back of the hymnal. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call nations that you know not, and nations that knew you not shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and return not thither, but water the earth, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, 
and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign which shall not be cut off. May God's blessing attend that reading of his holy word. Eternal God, our Father, who art the giver of life and the provider of all that is excellent and beautiful, help us now in this hour, in this place, to open up to thee our lives, to be genuine in the praise that we sing, sincere in the prayer that we pray, and earnest in seeking after self-understanding in the light of thy word. Deepen our worship, we pray, with a spirit of gratitude. And help us in these quiet moments to recall the blessings and gifts with which our lives have been enriched. And the people who have helped us to find our path and establish our ideals. Who have been our support in time of doubt and trouble and bereavement. Deepen our worship, O God, we pray, with a spirit of penitence. Thou knowest how proud we are in spite of our outward appearance, so self-complacent, so sure of ourselves in spite of our ignorance, so haughty in spite of our needs, so quick to condemn though we are far from being perfect ourselves. Grant us, O God, a true spirit of humility and a readiness to seek forgiveness for that which is amiss in our lives and in our relationships with other people. Deepen our worship, O God, with some act of decision. Work upon our wills by thy Holy Spirit, so that each one of us here may desire to present to the world at least one life that is honest and sincere and dedicated and unselfish. Because we have worshipped here today, may our home life be more understanding. May we be more tolerant with other people. May friendships be sweetened and duties be fulfilled more responsibly. And may we resolve to follow Christ by taking some step toward meeting our neighbor's need. O Lord our God, who hast all the nations in thy hand, we pray for our nation in these critical days. May the President and his counselors have both the strengths and the restraints of a Christian conscience. Wilt thou beat down the swords that are lifted up against the peace of this world and strengthen with steadfast purpose those leaders in our world who have it at heart the good of all men. 
Remind us again, O God, that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And let us have done with it. Most merciful Father, we pray for ourselves in this community of town and college. We are thankful for the providence that has gathered us together again. And each one of us prays that we may be delivered from undisciplined desires and from the slavery of all those habits that we are free to begin but not free to stop. By thy grace, O God, deliver us from any purposeless living that we do and lead us from day to day by thy grace that we might finish our course without dishonor and without shame. There are people in this community, our Father, who are beset by evil circumstances, who have known bereavement, who are undone by anxiety, who are constantly tempted, almost beyond their strength. O oh God, let some faith and hope and love come today to the help of every worshiper in the measure of their need. Continue to visit us with thy disturbing presence. For this we ask in the name and for the sake of our Savior Christ. Amen. Christ sent me to proclaim the gospel and to do it without relying on the language of worldly wisdom so that the fact of Christ on his cross might have its full weight. The doctrine of the cross is sheer folly to those on their way to destruction. But to those who are on their way to salvation, it is the very power of God. Scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the cleverness of the clever. Where is your wise man now, your man of learning or your subtle debater, limited, all of them, to this passing age? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. As God in his wisdom ordained, the world failed to find him by its wisdom. And so he chose to save those who have faith by the folly of the gospel. Jews call for miracles. Greeks look for wisdom. But we proclaim Christ. Yes, Christ nailed to the cross. And though this is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks, yet to those who have heard his call, Jew and Greek alike, he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Divine folly is wiser than the wisdom of man, and divine weakness stronger than man's strength. My brothers, think what sort of people you are whom God has called. Few of you are men of wisdom by any human standard. Few of you are powerful or highly born. And yet to shame the wise, God has chosen what the world counts foolish, and to shame what is strong, 
God has chosen what the world counts weakness. He has chosen things low and contemptible, mere nothings to overthrow the existing power. And so there is no place for human pride in the presence of God. You are in Christ Jesus by God's act, for God has made him our wisdom. He is our righteousness. In him we are consecrated and set free. And so in the words of Scripture, if a man is proud, let him be proud in the Lord. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. I want to speak to you today on the power of the cross. I read the lesson from the New English Bible, but I would like to read the text from the familiar words of the King James Version of the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks. Christ. The power of God. And the wisdom of God. Not long ago, I clipped out of a British publication the story of one of the world's great swimmers who had ascended to the topmost platform in a great swimming contest. And as he had walked outside to where the Olympic-sized pool was, a big, strapping, healthy fellow he reached forward and placed his foot down in the water. And then he ascended to the top of the platform and did a tremendous dive, coming into the water with hardly a splash and striking out with great powerful strokes. A BBC person was present and said, I hope you will forgive my inquisitive question, but we see so many novices come forward and place their foot in the water that I wondered why you came to the edge of the pool and put your foot first in the water and then ascended to the topmost platform. And the diver said, well, I will tell you. It will sound strange to you. But he said, in my everyday life, I am a schoolmaster. And I live in a section of England where in the summertime it is sometimes sultry. And we have an Olympic-sized pool there, and we have a great diving platform. And one evening, after a long hard day's work, when it was still warm, 
I went out in the moonlight thinking that I would take a dip in the pool. I came to the platform and I went past the first platform and the second platform and I came to the third platform. I went out on the end of the board and I stretched out my arms to get ready for my dive into the pool below. And as I did, the moonlight shining from behind me made the shadow of a cross in the pool down below. He said something happened to me in that moment as I looked at that strange shadow of a cross and my arms fell to my side and the cross disappeared. Then he said I regained my composure and stretched out my arms once again and looked down to the pool. But once again there was the cross and something would not let me dive. And so he said, I put my arms down and climbed the ladder and descended from the platform all the way to the bottom and went over and looked at the pool. And all the water had been drained out of the pool that day. If I had dived from the platform, I would have been killed. He said, the cross saved me. And so he said, every time I get ready to perform and come to a pool, I come to test and see if the water is real. If you want to test your Christian faith, then come to communion and test and see if it's real. If your devotion to Jesus is real. This is where it's all at, as the young people say. Right here in the cross of Jesus Christ. St. Paul had been to Athens and he preached the gospel there. He quoted the philosophers and certain of their poets and they laughed at him and mocked him when he talked about Jesus. And Paul walked away from Mars Hill determined that from then on what he preached would not stand in the wisdom of this world but in the power of God. He went that 40 miles from Athens to that wicked city of Corinth. There on that narrow isthmus where there was a little four-mile stretch of land separating two seas. A crossroads port city where people came from all parts of the world. Notorious for its debauchery and immorality. There is no gospel to the Christians in Athens but there is to the Christians in Corinth. Because when Paul got to Corinth, he started there speaking and preaching the power of the cross. And there were people who were converted and the church was formed. You can read all about it in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, how he is joined with Priscilla and Aquila and how he preaches and teaches in that city of Corinth. Well, Paul says this. He says the Jews require a sign. This indeed is what they required. If you look back into the Old Testament, you will see Gideon asking God to give him a sign so that he'll know whether or not God is really going to deliver the Midianites. 
when you see Samuel going out to find a king for Israel, you will find him asking God for a sign. And it continued on until the days of the Lord Jesus. You remember Jesus' words, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign shall be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. A sign that meant repentance and change of heart was to be preached. Well, nothing could be more repulsive to a Jew than to think that the grand Messiah of God would be taken by Romans and hatefully nailed to a wooden cross and be lifted up to the ridicule as a spectacle before all the people round about. Oh no, the Jews, they had to have a sign. They had to have a sign. So the cross for them, says St. Paul, is a stumbling block. And so it is today. We want Jesus to do things the way we want them done. And if he doesn't, it is a stumbling block. One of the taunts that they tossed into his teeth when they walked beneath his cross, looking up at that bleeding form. They said, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. But God panders to no man's ifs. It takes real humility, says St. Paul. That's what he tells the Corinth. That's why not many wise and noble after this world's way of choosing people had come at that point to follow him. A stumbling block to the Jews and to the Greeks who were seeking after wisdom, foolishness. This preaching of the cross, mere foolishness. What is there in this dead man hanging on the cross? What is there in this little cup of wine and in these little pieces of bread that signify anything that has power? This is not an infrequent taunt that is brought into the teeth of those who follow Jesus even to this day. You see, what keeps us back is our pride. Our pride. And the cross means that we must be crucified with Christ. And St. Paul says this in another place, I am crucified with Christ. And nevertheless I live, and yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Paul preached about the cross and the cross and the cross and the cross. Because he knew here, here was the power of God. A few weeks ago I received in the mail a very fine present of a set of tapes. And in going through the cassettes, I found a tape by a man who used to be a remarkably gifted Bible teacher who's gone since to be with God in heaven. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a very powerful personality, but a very clear preacher of the Word of God and a man who was very unique in his ministry. Dr. Barnhouse told that when he had gone to the 
great church that he served in Philadelphia for many, many years, 35 years or so, the 10th Presbyterian. That when he had first gone to that church, he noticed next door to the church an apartment building. There was a man there whose name was Mr. Mack. He made friends with Mr. Mack and he talked with him about faith in Jesus Christ. After he had gained the right to witness to him through friendship, he said that when he first brought up faith in Christ and in the atonement for sins, Mr. Mack said to Dr. Barnhouse, he said, I happen to belong to a lodge which teaches us some high principles of living. And I believe that if I live by the principles of my lodge, which teach me honesty and consideration for my fellow man, that it will be all right with me when I go to stand before God. And Dr. Barnhouse said it will not be all right with you either, because you are a sinner, and you are indebted to God, and Christ died to pay the price for your sins. And you cannot get into God's heaven apart from the atonement of Jesus Christ. And the man said to Dr. Barnhouse very brusquely, I'll stick with my lodge. Well, there came a time a few years later when Mr. Mack had a stroke. It was just a matter of hours until he would die. And so someone sent word to Dr. Barnhouse that his friend Mr. Mack was dying. And so he went to Mr. Mack's apartment. He was a bachelor. There was a man from the lodge there. They, this lodge had a death watch that was set up so that people would not die alone. And there was a man there leaping through a magazine, Dr. Barnhouse said. He came into the room and he said, Now I realize this will sound extreme to you, but this man was about to die and it called for an extreme thing to be done. He said, I reached over and pulled up a chair near to his bed, and I said to him, Mr. Mack, do you mind if I pull up a chair and watch you die? I have never seen a man who consciously rejected God's Son and the gift of salvation through that cross die. And you have consciously rejected it again and again. And if you don't mind, I just want to sit here and watch you die. Well, the man was conscious and he was taken back by these blunt words of Dr. Barnhouse. And he said to him, he said, you wouldn't mock a dying man, would you, Dr. Barnhouse? Dr. Barnhouse said, I wouldn't mock a dying man. I'm here for one reason. I happen to believe that if you go out into eternity without Jesus Christ as your righteousness, you'll be lost for all eternity. And God loves you, and I love you too. And I've come to tell you that. Well, to shorten the story. As Dr. Barnhouse read from the scriptures, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, the predictions of the suffering Savior, and as he read to him the words of John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The old man's heart mellowed and when he realized that a crucified Savior was his only hope of eternity, he accepted that Savior. And Dr. Barnhouse preached his funeral later on.
Now, I've told you that story because unless we are just victims of an illusion, if we believe what the Bible says, if we accept its authority, then to be saved, and I mean by that to go to heaven when we die, we must accept the righteousness which God has for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. We have tried to go it our own way. The church has busied itself with a multitude of great schemes, but here is the power of God. Man's power is folly. Last week I sat by a man who had gone to the moon. And when I came home, I looked out the window and the pilot called all of the passengers' attention to a great huge rocket that we could see in this clear day on the coast of Cape Canaveral. Ready on the launching pad, it will be the one that goes Apollo 16 to the moon. So what? The man that I sat by is a sinner. He needs the power of God to change his life. So what? We've got the big rocket. One day they may come raining down on this country, blasting all of the scientific wisdom of man to smithereens. Here is the power of God. The power of God is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Foolishness. Foolishness to the intellectuals who are not willing to humble themselves before God. A stumbling block for the people who want to demand that God do things their way. But to those who are willing to believe what Scripture teaches and says, it is the power of God. And that's why we're met here today. We wouldn't be meeting today if it were not for those who have trusted that power down through the ages and whose lives have been transformed by that power. When the Christian missionaries were driven out of mainland China. They were rounded up, many of them placed in custody by the Chinese Communist government. I've been thinking about this since our renewed interest in China has occurred. And the group of missionaries had been taken into one particular compound and were all put in charge of a communist officer. They were treated with scorn and contempt because the Chinese communists had all the power then and they do now, they think. And one missionary was particularly saddened to see in the ranks of the soldiers of the communists a man whom he had known as a boy and whom he had thought was a Christian. Much hardship had been perpetrated upon the church and many Christians had suffered. And doubtless this boy was caught into the machinery of the powerful government. And the missionary looked at him with saddened eyes. 
And of course, the soldier could not say anything to the missionary. But when he passed by him, he pushed a crumpled piece of paper over to his hand. And the missionary took it and realized that he was getting a secret message. And when the other soldiers were not looking, he unfolded the crumpled piece of paper and he read the words that we sang a moment ago. Towering o'er the wrecks of time. It was this soldier's way of saying that even this strong communist force which dominated now would one day crumble and fall away and that the cross of Jesus Christ would tower over all the wrecks of time and it will and so the invitation is open if you are one of those who sense in your heart and need the invitation is here for you to come to the power of the cross for forgiveness if you've been suckered into the intellectualization trap, humble yourself before God and take the way which he has made. If your love for Jesus has grown cold, come back to that cross once more. The grandest prayer I ever heard, I think, was made by a mechanic in a Ford shop. He was on our session. One night there was a heavy snow and this mechanic had come with the other elders to the church and an important issue had come up and I was amazed at the number of people that came from the session but they were nearly all present and the warmest place was back in my study which was quite small and we met there. We discussed the fact that we needed revival in our church. And I said I would like for every elder here to pray. And let's just pray around the circle. And when I said this, I saw this mechanic who had great gnarled hands that were scarred from working on cars. I saw him flinch. And I could tell that he'd probably never prayed in public before. And I was a little bit ashamed that I'd phrased it this way because I, I didn't want to embarrass him. One man prayed, another man prayed, another elder prayed. And then it came the turn of the mechanic. And there was quiet for what seemed like a long time. And then he uttered these precious words. Lord, he said with a trembling voice, teach us how much we need you. Isn't that a great prayer? Teach us how much we need you. We need what's here at this table. We need the forgiveness of our sins. We need the power of the cross in our life. We need the love that is demonstrated here to show to others. We need the cross of Jesus. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, 
weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to greet you. All the beauty, love and power. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to know your need of him. Let us pray. Help us, O God, to test and see that this is real. And help us to take up the elements and know that just as really as we can touch them and taste them and see them, so did Jesus die for our sins. Help us to know that by his grace we can be assured of eternal life in heaven and help us know that by his grace we can live for his glory as we walk among men today. Receive us, we pray, as his guests at his table. In his name, amen. The hymn of preparation is the hymn numbered 272. We will sing the stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 5. Stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 5 of hymn number 272. Please read carefully the words as you sing them and make them the prayer of your heart. Let us stand. 